part-time hours for bullshit pay so I can sit out here and waste my life away drag back home and drown my troubles away it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to People like me, people like you, wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is, oh it is, living in the new world. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined here by my co-host and star of the show, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan, and this is Coach and Kernan, our flagship show. Before we get to our guest and, and, and also Kevin, uh, share what he's seeing this week and especially the two articles written, I want to just thank our faithful subscribers up over 50,000 now in 74 countries, grassroots to MLB front offices. We appreciate your support. Continue to do that. Give Kevin five stars after this episode. Write some comments, some nice comments down there. If you have questions, please put them down there as well. We'll be glad to answer them for you. Um, but that way we can continue to battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in baseball and because of your efforts, we are now the newest podcast stream on iHeartRadio. So thank you for that. You can continue to listen to us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. But iHeart's our newest stream, and we're getting a lot of good responses from that. So uh, with that, Kevin, welcome back to your show. Thanks, Dave. I, I don't care if the comments are nice or, or not. It doesn't matter. I mean, just because uh, just I don't care. Because I, if, I, if I'm not pissing you off a little bit, then I'm not doing my job. And, uh, and this, uh, you know, the fans, in a lot of ways, become idiots. So I got I got to try to set them straight, and um, we'll get into this one later with our guests. But we had another example of of uh, baseball idiocy, fan lunacy, uh, agent lunacy, everything else. No hitter taken out seven innings. You know Blake Snell. Yeah. Um, they they just uh, they're stifling greatness, but we'll get into more of that later. Uh, obviously, the column I wrote this week uh, got a lot of play, and again, this this may may you know if, if you're smart, you realize what's going on. Uh, basically, I called for Brian Sabian to be the new president of baseball operations for the Red Sox. Got got an unbelievable response within the game. There are so many people rooting for Sabian because all he's done is won three World Series. You know, he did it with he and he did it with the technology too. He was in San Francisco, okay? Yeah. You know, tech savvy San Francisco. He's he's not just a bunch of old guys, you know, uh, you know, burping and, and drinking beer. They're, 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 he had his boiler room, but he kept his, that, that to himself. And uh, uh, you went three out of five. Last team to do that in the National League was the Cardinals, 42-44-46. And so I went really heavy on that column. The idiocy of the people they want to hire. I even saw, you know, you see the same names over and over again. Or a guy who might have done okay, and he's, you know, he was a, he was a, he was a, he was a okay player, and now he's got a little little analytics background. So that makes him. It's about leadership. It's really that simple. It's about leadership. Sabian's a leader. Knows the game inside out. Knows a million people. Could put together a team that would just a, a front office team, coaching team, development team that would just crush the opposition but you know i know tom werner well i know john henry not as well as tom werner tom werner needs to go back to his roots and realize geez how did i become a zillionaire i became a zillionaire because i kissed bill cosby's butt and bill cosby uh took me there and and my partners took me there you need to have and bill cosby at the time was a, a superstar you need superstar front office people and it really should be done 
We'll see if the uh, Red Sox have the guts to do it. I doubt it. And this is, I'm getting my selfish question of the show out earlier. Why, I mean, something that's so obvious, why is he being pushed aside, pushed in the background? Why is it not just a no-brainer, get it done with somebody like Saban? No, it is a no-brainer, and he's not getting done because it's all about power. And and these guys don't want to relinquish any power. And they know, it's, the best quote Sabian gave me, and this was from January, but I, again, I've talked to him here and there. And... Um, and long conversations as well. So I know he's still into the game and locked into the game. But he said, Kevin, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. So he would surround himself with smart guys and guys who would fight back on different levels. These people that run baseball now don't want anybody questioning them. So there's a couple of reasons why this is happening. One of the reasons is the media... Uh, the gammons contingent that always wants to bring the next guy from Harvard or some elite college in. Uh, and, Peter, you know, I know Peter forever. Uh, the irony is Peter's a scout guy, and he, he's, he's promoting these guys that have destroyed scouts. So that, that's pretty funny, too. And Because uh, Peter made his bones by going to the Cape Cod League and talking to the scouts. Uh, so, so the reason why is real simple. They don't want to be challenged. They want to keep it a their little network of nerds, nerd network, and and they have to the most for the most part. Everybody's, I mean, the guy that's running the Tigers now, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to promote these guys. He played he played club lacrosse at UCLA. So they how are they going to understand that the ins and outs? And I'm not saying you have to be a player. Frank Cashman was a great GM. I think he was a sports writer actually. Fred Claire was a sports writer at one time. So you don't have, but you got to understand and know what these guys are doing. And like people have told me, they sit up there and they think the game is easy. The game is not easy. Sabian knows how hard the game is. Uh, the owners are, are numbers guys, widget guys, and, and they'll just go along with the easy, uh, thinking that they're going to get an assembly line of, of talent coming through for a cheap price. It ain't happening. Look where the Reds, look where Heim Bloom, and, I, and Dave, I've been on this from day one. Yeah, you Bloom. I did more research in 35 seconds than the Red Sox did when they hired this guy. I was on the on the field, Tropicana Field, doing the playoffs 2019. I knew one of the owners. I was BSing with him. I didn't even care that much, but I Heim Bloom was 30 feet to my right, and I said, "Hey, are you guys gonna miss this again?" I asked direct, easy question. Are you gonna miss this guy? And he kind of chuckled and said, "No, Kevin. We'll just hire two more Google boys." And and that's exactly what they did. They, I wouldn't be surprised if the Braves were so smart they were happy to send them up north, knowing that it would it would it would hurt the uh, the Red Sox. So so that's where we're at. I've gone too far because you got me fired up, but that's it. <laughs> no, I, I think you've been on it since day one, no, no question about it. And he drove the Red Sox down about as far as you could drive them down. And that's not a challenge to for them to hire somebody to do it worse, but. Sabian, I feel awful for because he's kind of stuck in the corner there in, in New York as a consultant. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they didn't need to listen to him or cut him loose, let him go somewhere where he can do some good. I was bothered by the Blake Snell thing last night, too. We'll, we'll get to that with our guest as well. But, um, you know, with that, we've got a unique guest today, uh, perspective as a, as a player, perspective as a, as a son growing up in the game, perspective as a player agent, and um, has, has some insight, has some great insight into – the state of the game right now. We had some wonderful conversations off the air and we'll bring them to the air. We will talk cigars. We will talk clothing apparel. So this is going to come full circle today. But with that, I want to 
introduce co-founder and president of Aventus Sports Management and son of famous MLB pitcher and should-be Hall of Famer, Louis Tiant. Uh, welcome, Danny Tiant, to the show. Danny, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing doing well. And um, wanted to kind of start off, we've got a, a lot of young kids in the audience and kind of get get to this this part uh, out there early. But uh, you, you became a player agent. Uh, we have a lot of young kids, grassroots, uh, all the way up through college players and whatnot that want to do something in baseball. Not everybody can be a, a MLB player. It's such a small number. But um, how how did you become an agent? Why did you become an agent? And give a little bit about you know what what an agent does in the baseball world. Well, um, as as you mentioned before, uh, you know, growing up in the game of baseball, it's it's kind of all I knew. <laughs> I knew. Uh, Two things I knew were, were baseball and, and cigars growing up, uh, having my dad be who he is. Um, you know, after I played, uh, I, I kind of jumped around in careers uh, after I graduated from college. I still wanted to stay in sports, but I just couldn't find what I really wanted to do. And uh, an old friend of mine kind of brought it to my attention that, hey, with so many at the time, there was it's kind of started when the Cuban influx of players started to, to happen. And obviously, one of the most important things was, you know, a lot of these players don't have the relationships with, you know, front office people, with scouts, with with agents, with with anybody within baseball. They were just coming here blindly, and just uh, it would have been a good idea to to build those relationships, that trust, and and you know, lead them in the right direction. So that's how I started getting into it. Um, you know, so I I got into more of. Uh, being a recruiter for another agency. And that's what uh, I started doing for a few years. Uh, and that agent ended up retiring. So that led to me kind of where I am now, you know, jumped around a few agencies and just starting, starting to form the event of sports management, which is our group now um, and have it in full swing for 2024. Yeah. It's and as far as, um, a young kid getting in, there's no linear path to it. It sounds like what advice can you give some, some young, young kids coming up the line? Cause I guess the only thing they have to look at, and it's probably more of our generation is Jerry Maguire. And it's certainly not like that, I would imagine. But so what, what advice uh, can you give a young kid in terms of wanting to pave the way a little bit to, to, to be a sports agent? Do they have to study something in particular? Um, is it important to be a player? What's your thoughts? I don't think it's important to be a player, but I mean, it always helps to, you know, as I, I think Kevin mentioned, understand the game. Uh, I, I think you have to understand any of the sports to, to be an agent, um, just to understand what, what they're going through, what the player's going through. Um, you know, it, I know the MLBPA looks for, you know, college graduates degrees. Um, if you could take a sports law course would be important. That's one thing I didn't do. I kind of learned through the bottom, you know, just kind of being a runner and learning from uh, an agent who is also an attorney and had, practices his own law. So I don't think you have to be an attorney, but you, you have to, it would be helpful to take courses in, in the sports law field. Um, you have to be patient. I think uh, it doesn't hurt to maybe jump on board with a with an established agency and intern with them, learn the ropes. Um, there's a lot of them that are really good agencies out there. And just you learn from the guys who've been around, the, the, the men and women that have been around, because there's a lot of uh, women now that uh, 
that you you know that uh that are now uh representing pro athletes so it's I, you got to learn from them. I think interning is a very important. Then at that point, you know, learn to make your own decisions as to do you want to stay within those companies or spread your own wings and start your own business. But uh, patience and patience is very important to this. Now, when, when you're handling these these young ball players, uh, whether they're U.S. born or, or foreign born, people have the misconception that these guys are coming in and they're making Mike Trout money, uh, Otani money right off the rip. Um, give, give the audience an idea of what, what the level of money is like when they first enter baseball to minor leagues, both salary and potential bonus. And then, um, want to get into that, that, uh, the acronym we spoke about yesterday, I believe it was BLA, if you're comfortable talking about that. Um, but, but share about a little bit, the en- entry money. For these- uh, well, you know, I just think, you know, when we had this conversation about the fan base and, and thinking that all players are spoiled and, it's all about money. It really isn't. I mean, it, it takes a long time to get to the point where they're at. Um, you know, when you look in the minor league system, the, a lot of these players are still below poverty level <clears throat> when it comes to earnings. Um, there's only a handful that, that that make that big bonus. And you're talking about the MLB draft. I mean, the kids in the first round, sure, they'll, they'll have a signing bonus, you know, between $1 million, $9 million. There's guys that sign out of the draft for $50,000. Uh, even less if it's a senior sign. So that's money that they have to really budget for the next few years until they make it to the big leagues and get onto that 40-man roster or, or in this case, uh, get to the, the pros. Um, you know, rookie rookie minimum, I think, is 750 right now. So, you know, if you have a guy that's playing in the minors for about five years, he's basically living off what his bonus was. If he's got an endorsement, great, but – you know, their salaries in minor leagues are still uh, below poverty level. Uh, I mean, if you're in AAA, you, you might get in the 70, 90,000 range. Uh, so, again, it takes a long time to get to the point where you see the salaries of a Mike Trout, of an Otani, um, you know, um, and those type of players. Um, and it just, um, I think it's a misconception when you start talking about salaries of players. I hear it all the time from fans, you know, these guys are greedy and they make too much and how much do they want? Well, they've earned it. Uh, I hate to say it, but I mean, they've earned their, they've earned their, their, their salaries and their, it's taken a, a long time and a sacrifice and, and people need to understand that. Compared to an owner, they're, they're making, I mean, it's minuscule. I mean, owners, owners are, are making money year round, every year. And even, even mid-level teams are, they just don't spend it, but they're making money. If they didn't make money, they wouldn't be around. It's that simple. And um, we, we spoke about, did I get the acronym right, BLA? Um, yes. Yep. What, what, explain what BLA is. And it's, it's kind of a, I don't want to spin it in a, I don't, I don't want to spin it at all. I'll let you explain BLA, what that is and, and how it works into the minor league system and, and how it you know can hurt. It's almost, it almost sounds like uh, getting kids to apply for credit cards as soon as they're out of college. Um, it kind of is real. It's no, I, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I know I've had a few of our players have, have locked on with, 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 uh, the BLA group. It's, uh, what's it stand for? What's BLA? It's big league advance. Okay. Big advance. Uh, you know, and they, they're a company that from my understanding, they, they advance money. That's the way to get around it for players that need it. I mean, if you're only making, you know, 
couple thousand a month and you didn't have a signing bonus. And, and this kind of falls more for the Latin players. I've seen a lot of Latin players that are under this. They'll, they'll take advances to, to basically help them and help their family um, while they are out there playing. And it's usually what you do is you sign up and BLA will then take a percentage of your contract. Now the risk, I mean, if you don't make it, then you don't pay it back. But if you do make it to the big leagues and BLA will take a percentage of your contract for the rest of your career. And uh, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think Tatis was one of the guys that had a big contract. So they, they landed pretty good on that one, but it's, they look at it as a way to help the players financially, but I, I strongly, I disagree with it because it, it's the player making the money and, and somebody who has the ability to give you that kind of money just takes a percentage of what you've earned. Um, it's, there's to me there's a better solution um you know it's kind of like you know we're talking about analytics and we talk about baseball now everybody's talking about the big move with banning the shift banning the shift is not a big deal you beat the shift by hitting the opposite way and to me there's the same thing it, you know the salary structure in the minor leagues to me is terrible I, I, you know these guys we live in a world today that two thousand three thousand bucks a month isn't going to help you it's it's that's money my dad was making when he was in the minors and he was playing in the 60s uh in the 60s so as everything else increases uh, you know i strongly feel that the the salaries in the minor leagues need to increase as well to to make it uh, affordable for these kids to to focus on playing the game of baseball not focus and stressing out on the fact that where's their next meal going to come from yeah and that to me is a big issue yep that's uh, that's that's toxic. In fact, they have they have social workers that deal with that with young kids growing up. Why we would do that with professional baseball players is beyond me. Did, did the players' union negotiate it for higher salaries? But that that wasn't enough, obviously, for the minor leaguers to, to live. It was minuscule. I, I they don't really care for MILB. I don't think they do. It's just kind of. I think the new the new regime is you know what baseball is today. They just worry about MLB. I don't think they worry about the MILB as much. Um, I mean, look, we've seen a lot of teams dissolve because of that, and that was a new realignment. Um, they really wanted to make a change. I mean, the salaries would be higher. They really should be. Um, these kids got to really focus on the game of baseball to become better, not not asking, you know, in my case, I've gotten a lot of my clients ask me for, you know, help financially. And, you know, we can't even do that. You know, it's uh, so it's it's tough. It's tough. That's the part to me that's pretty, pretty stressful when it comes to to representing uh, minor leaguers. So you you that's why a group like a BLA exists, because as a player agent, it's not within the guidelines for you to advance money. It's, that yeah. way. No, it's not. Um, you can help a little bit and, uh, you know, you have to run it by MLBPA, but uh, nothing that can really help uh, to the level that these guys do. And I, I've. Look, it's been going on, and and they find it as perfectly fine, and and all that. But um, to me, I look at it as you know, you're 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 hunting on, you know, it's, it's like your prey, yeah. you know. And and to me, it's 
most of the players I've seen under it are are Latin players. Because, again, uh, when you talk about the international signing of players, most of these players are signing for 50, 25,000. You know, you have your, it's very rare that you have the guys that are getting that 1 million, 3 million signing bonus. That, that's only a handful. Um, you know, guys that might be in the 500,000. But the international signing market is, I mean, you're getting players for, like I said, five thousand, ten thousand dollars. What are you going to do with that? And not only that, but those players now have to pay the academies that they came from. And academies don't have any. There's no limits. They don't care if you you came out of an academy. You owe them fifty percent. You owe them thirty five percent. So if you signed for for five and it's a fifty, you're only getting twenty five hundred bucks of that. I mean, what are you going to do with that? Nothing. So you're already coming out of the out of the box with basically zero. Just a contract. And those are things to me that I feel need to be changed. Uh, they really need to look at that. They haven't. Um, How would you change it? It, I, you know, it's this is a good question. I, you know, I, I've talked to a few people. I think you look at bottom line to me is, is is you have to regulate that. You have to regulate. I know they 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 so called regulate it where you can't take over fifty. I just feel that it's got to be, I hate to say it, but humanity, it's gone. <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> I don't like to take, I have, I have players that come out of academies. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Um, and I think agencies need to start changing their ways on that a bit. Uh, I, I think people in general need to just be better people. These are these are these are kids. These are human beings that you know they're playing a game that they love. They sign and they'll play for free. That's how much they love it and they want to get out of whatever situation they're in. But we have to we have to regulate it. We have to have a conscience. And and I don't see it. You know, everybody's like, well, I worked up on my time, I deserve my percentage. I get it. I'm not saying you don't. But if a player signs for fifty thousand, you're really comfortable taking twenty five thousand from him just because you you trained them for a couple of years and look, food, housing, especially in the DR in, in Mexico and Venezuela is not that expensive, not like here. So you, you can do just fine with, with taking less than that and taking a, a percentage that's going to be helpful for you and your business. I understand you have a business and you have to grow it and you have to maintain it. But to me, it's, it's to the point of just robbery. And, and and just so the audience knows, an agent doesn't really get his normal cut until the the, the player makes it to the big leagues, correct? Well, the, I mean, you can get your cut off of, you know, in the draft, you, you can you can get your you can get a percentage out of the draft depending on on where the player is drafted and things like that. You you negotiate that with the players as well. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, when they get to the big leagues. Uh, and they get that first contract. That's kind of the the next one uh, on the international side side of things. If you do have a player that you're that you're involved with and you're training, you can get your percentage out of that as well. So there's certain times that, that you you're able to get uh, what's uh, what's yours, and then also in, in, when it comes to endorsement deals. So um, I I mean I've heard guys that that do it off. Tops cards deals. 
I won't, I don't touch that. I just, I don't, but I know there's, there's, there's some that do. Um, they want to take their percentage off everything that they can. I, I don't, I disagree with that one. I mean, uh, I've had players that have signed top steals that are very minimal, uh, but it's extra money for the player. And, and um, I've, I've heard of my players have told me, so yeah, this agent takes 5%, 10% off that kid. I'm like, and they're worried about it. Cause they'll ask me. And I was like, no, I don't touch that. That's yours. Yeah. There's a right and a wrong way to do things. Yeah. No, you it know? sounds like. And, uh, and I, I, for me, I, I was raised differently, obviously. You know, my, my parents were very, very strict with us. I learned a lot from my dad on right and wrong and how to treat people. And I see how he still does it to this day and, and how he's, that's why he's still so loved in, in not only MLB in the baseball world, but in Fenway. And it's just the way I, I try to handle my business too. Yeah. That was, that was going to, that was going to be my next question is what, Growing up around your dad as a player, seeing all these great players, I mean, he spent most of his career with Cleveland and Boston. Um, what things were impressed upon you by your father that uh, led to how you treat players? Not just not just him as a player, but him as a dad led to how you treat your, your client base nowadays. His hard work ethic, um, you know, he just worked hard. He was very serious as, as much as you know, he was always considered the class, the class clown and the jokester and the prankster, which he always was. He, he kept things, he kept things lighthearted. You know, he, he, he did his job. Uh, he'd come home. He was a dad. He was a husband. Um, but he joked around a lot in the, in the locker rooms. And I think he kept everybody, you know, in a easy, smooth kind of spirit, laid back. And that's why they were able to, to play and play well. And, I mean, every teammate that I've talked to of his has kind of said the same thing. He kept everybody loose in the locker room. Even the guys were uptight. It's a game. You got to have fun. And I think he kept it that way. Um, he, The way he just treats people uh, always has, always will. I mean, <clears throat> one thing about him, if he doesn't like you, he doesn't like you. <laughs> but if he, he likes you, he loves you, he'll do anything for you. Uh, he doesn't want to deal with the negative energy. I don't think he ever has, and and he's not he's not a a yes man type of person. He's his own person, uh, and he was always like that. And I and I believe a lot of the managers respected him for that. That it was his game to win, and uh, if, if he wanted, he won. If he lost, he lost. But it was his game. And, and I think that's that's the way I've always been. Um, I try to treat everybody the same. Um, I, I get away from the negative energy. I don't have time to listen to the negative negativity of people and the criticism. I really don't. Um, I joke around a lot. I joke around with my players. Uh, I treat them like they're my, my kids, my younger siblings. And we do. We talk in a very serious manner. When it's time to put your big boy pants on and get out there and work, you got to do it. And you know what? We want to joke around. We want to hang out. That's fine. Um, and those are the things that I've learned from him. I just learned to, there's an obstacle. You got to find a way to overcome it. Um, you know, that's why I don't, I don't think I have stress levels that much as high as other people. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, it's like my dad always says, he goes, problems are meant to be solved. That's why they're problems. And the only thing you can't solve is death. That's why it's not a problem. It's reality. And that's just the way I live my life. Yeah. 
Well, I say if you, if you choose a second career, you may want to get into coaching because we need more men like you in coaching right now that I are thought still- about it. <laughs> we I thought get you. about it. Well, you, you said, you know, baseball and cigars. I'm going to pass it on to Kevin after this, but I know nothing about cigars. Probably um, I'm very deficient in that area. Educate me a little bit on cigars. Uh, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful business. It's a, it's a beautiful experience as far as cigars go. If you get to learn cigars, the art of cigars, smoking, I know people look at it and the smoke is kind of bothersome to people, but when you, you, making a cigar, the process of making a cigar is, is unreal from, you know, planting the seed to growing, cultivating to, to basically picking the right plants, you know, the right tobacco leaves and, and curing and the whole process behind it is just a, it's a work of art. You know, we always, I think people talk about winemaking as just something that's really beautiful to see. And, and, you know, you go to the vineyards, it's the same thing with cigars. It's even more complicated to make a cigar than it is to make wine. And I think if, if anybody who has an interest ever has a chance to go to a cigar factory and I mean, by that, I mean an actual plantation where there's the farms and, and you have the the tobacco being grown and rolled. Um, they should do it because then you'll have a, a much, much bigger respect for 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 cigars and cigar smoking. Uh, I loved it. I still do. I'll smoke once in a while. Um, and I try to smoke cigars with my dad whenever he comes down to Florida. Um, but yeah, it's to me, it's just a beautiful experience. And you're in the cigar business, or your dad is? Uh, we were. We had a cigar company, uh, Tiant Cigar Group, and El Tiante was our first our first line that we had. Um, we put it on hold for a while. Uh, we had some issues, but um, I wanted to take a break too. And it's funny because the last few years, I think I moved to St. Augustine three years ago. Um, the I've had. I think more experience here recently as far as smoking cigars and just people coming up to me was like, you know, we, we need a new cigar lounge here. Or when are you coming back with your new cigars? When are you come back with El Tiante? So, um, you know, even my dad called me, he's like, Hey, you know, people are asking me left and right. When are we coming back? So I asked him as I told him, I said, well, if you want to, we can, let's just gonna clear up some things and then we'll, we'll go back into production. Um, I enjoyed it. I loved it a lot and uh, made a lot of, a lot of great friends. Um, and, um, you know, it's something we might consider doing as well. Something smaller though, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more focused on, on Aventus sports and what we're doing with, with baseball and what we want to do with other sports. But it, at the same time, I can still do the cigars, you know, on a smaller scale, which is uh, kind of my, my goal. Well, it sounds like a, a soft launch right here. So I think if, if it goes, you heard it here first, <laughs> a coach in Kern. And so with that, that, I'll pass it over to you, Kevin. Yeah, Dave. Uh, you know, Louis is a great guy. You know, I remember going to lunch with him many years ago in, in uh, Weehawken and doing a piece on him about being, he should be in the Hall of Fame and it still hasn't happened. Uh, I know I've talked to him about it. Um, and like you say, he, he just, he looks at it like, well, if it happens, it happens. But he's, uh, he, one of the things he told me was he wanted it to happen in his lifetime. So how's that, how, how's your dad holding up with all that? And is it kind of, you know, is it kind of incredible that he's still not in the hall of fame? <laughs> you know, when I, 
talking about dad and being just how laid back he is, it's the same thing with this. And, and you're right, Kevin. It's like you said, it happens, it happens. Um, he's he's a man's man. I, I, I tell you what, my dad, I don't think a lot of things phase him. And, you know, we talk about the Hall of Fame a lot and and he'll 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 say it. If, if it bothers anybody, it's me. I'm the one that gets more agitated about it than anybody else. Um, and I think a lot of us are just just my love for my dad and knowing what he's done and, and what he sacrificed. Um, and I just feel he's very deserving of it. You know, he he doesn't think about it. He doesn't talk about it. He um, he'll always say, he goes, you know what? My family's my Hall of Fame. I've done what I did. I did what I did. I know what I did. And I know what I did against the greats of this game. He goes, and nobody can ever take that away from me. Um, if it happens, it happens great. And if it happens when he's gone, he's like, don't go. He flat out already, he told my brother, he told my sister, he told me, he told my mom, if she's, you know, if he's gone before her, I don't want anybody in my family to go to the Hall of Fame for my induction. <clears throat> and he's serious about it. And it's, I, you know, I think about it a lot because I, it's what he wants. It's what he says. I, knowing me, it's, I have something to say to the people if he does get inducted when he's gone. And what better platform than to say it there in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. But, yeah. In the same, as you talk about that way, I don't want to go against my dad's request. So it's it's tough because do they care? I don't think they they don't give a sh- they don't give a, you know what <laughs> they don't care. You know, um, it's it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful. And uh, but and I do like I said, I'm the one that gets more agitated about it than anybody else in our family. Well, the thing uh, that yeah, the thing that surprises me is that you know. The writers are the writers. They make mistakes all the time on who yep. should get in, who should get out. Um, and, and again, you know, the class of pitching in his era was tremendous. Um, but these the veterans committees, that, that's what surprises me, that the, the guys who played the game don't see it. Uh, it is. It's very surprising. Um, you know, I hear some of his former teammates say, hey, you need to be here. I've heard it, you know, I've heard comments from from – some of the guys during interviews that, yes, he should be in there. I just don't know who is the one in charge of the veterans and who's the voting committee. Well, it changes. It changes, it changes year to year, right. unfortunately. It changes. Now, yeah. I won't mention names, mm-hmm. but I was told by somebody who is pretty well known within that there was a specific player that didn't want my dad in there. I could believe that. And he was part of the committee and he was high up in the committee and didn't think my dad was good enough to be in the hall. Um, with that being said, that person passed and I was told, watch it. Maybe he will be in. And if he does get in this next voting period, and then to me, that just answers my question, which is a shame. And the reason that guy didn't like him is because my dad really basically uh, handled him pretty well when he faced him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, they're still like little kids, even though they're grown they up. Are. They are. 
They, they really are. And they'll never forget. You know, my dad will forget a lot of people's names. Yeah. Hell, sometimes I don't know how he remembers mine. <laughs> but, you know, as, as we, but he won't forget games. He won't forget stats. He won't no. forget what he did against, you know, a, a hitter like Perez, a hitter like Oliva, or a hitter like Frank Howard. He doesn't forget. He doesn't forget when they hit bombs off of him either. No. But, you no. know, it's it's amazing. These guys don't forget those things. It's funny you say that because, you know, one of my favorite things to do is when I used to cover it on an annual basis was to sit, just hang on the back porch of the Otisaga Hotel and uh, have those guys reminisce, you know. And, and you know, Maddox will talk about this at bat or that at bat. And Cal Ripon will get in his batting stance and do his thing, uh, you know, and, and Brooks Robinson. And you go on and on. They, they, don't, they don't forget. And it's such a um, – it really is a clubhouse atmosphere. And that, to me, that's the biggest crime because because uh, Louie would add so much to the atmosphere of of the Hall of Fame weekend and everything. And and I also want to throw out, you know, just from, um, you know, the fact of being a Cuban player, too, that should, uh, you know, he, he was a trailblazer. You know, and here's some of the crazy numbers, you know, 187 complete games, 49 shutouts, you know, 229 wins. 330 ERA. Uh, if those numbers came out now, you oh, he's an automatic Hall of Famer, blah, 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 blah. You know, you, you got guys now winning Cy Youngs that can't get through the seventh inning. It's a freaking joke. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, I mean, you you <clears throat> you watch games today and, you know, you're already, they're already talking about Scherzer as a shoe-in um, and some of those players and take nothing away from them. No. But... I started looking at complete games and I looked and compared the complete games, I think between Scherzer and my dad, I think it was, and it was just such a difference in the gap as far as how many complete games. And they're talking about these guys as automatic shoeings. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. It, it, it blows my mind that we, the game of baseball, which is supposed to be a game of, America's pastime and history and, and, you know, the Ted Williams and, and, and the Cobbs and, and, you know, all these guys and, and Lou Brock's and you name it, but yet they're not even talking about the past. <clears throat> they talk about the today of the game. And I blame that. I blame that on, on today's baseball world. I blame that on, on who runs the game and they don't respect the history of the game. No, they don't know it. And uh, they don't know it. They don't respect it. And 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 we you've forgotten these guys that have paved the way for what the game is today. And I hate to say it, but the players of the past hate the game of today. They can't stand it because it's an absolute joke. Oh, I talked to all of them, and uh, they you, you nailed it. They do, and they, they, they don't even watch it. And they don't. And they, they don't. don't. Here's the thing, and the media too. I want to you know get on the media here because I remember when I pushed for Goose to get in, I had to do so much research and and. <clears throat> And, um, you know, the fact that they were three inning saves and this and that. And, again, getting back to my original point that they don't know the game. Let me throw this at you. Uh, I want your opinion on this because I thought of it today with the Blake Snell situation. Mm -hmm. Your dad's total ERA was 3.30, all those complete games, all those shutouts. Um, Here's something I found out, too. In 68, I I didn't realize this until today. You know, he had the sub-200 ERA. Two, 250 strikeouts, nine shutouts. There's only three pitchers in the history of the game to have a year like that. Your dad, Louis Tiant, 
you know, Bob Gibson and Sandy Koufax. That, and that's just one year. That's a, that's a small sample size. But what a sample size that is. Right. You never hear anything like that. And the other thing I want to point out, when you go and pitch those complete games, you were seeing the order three and four times through. So Correct. they may, you got to change up on them or they may get a better read on you. These guys are protecting their ERAs by not going deeper into games. What would Blake Snell's ERA be if he maybe pitched a few complete games and maybe somebody had another shot at him uh, when he when he was running on gas? And and it's got to be a little bit more creative. So the reality is their ERAs may be a little better, but they're protected ERAs. It's not a real ERA because they don't go the distance. It's not. It's not. And, you know, it's like you said, you have to be creative. Back in the day, they were pitchers. These guys are throwers. These are throwers. And, you know, we're so enamored with the 100-mile-an-hour pitch. But it's like I tell my pitchers, you know, the kids that I represent, the kids that we train um, at one of our facilities, you got to learn how to pitch. I don't care if you throw 100, 101, 102. If you can't find the strike zone, then you're worthless to me. And – and they don't understand, but that's what they're teaching these kids. You got to throw 101, 102. You look at these videos of these guys, you know, throwing these 100 miles and they're all chest pumping and the ball went friggin' 50 feet up in the air. It's absurd. <laughs> it's absurd. You know? and, and, and you're right. And when you talk about that creative side, that was the beauty of the game, even to the time when I was growing up. These guys were pitchers. They knew how to pitch. They had to get you out. That was the job. It's a chess match. I just got you out with a fastball. I know you're waiting for it. Let me try to get you with a slider. Fastball in. Fastball high and up. Let me get you with a curve. Something. Today, they don't let them. So it's like you said, these, these analytics, which blow, pisses me the hell off, and it's, it always will. And I'm for it as a tool. I'm not for it as the only method. Right. And that's what people need to understand. They're taking it to the point where it's the only method to, to to describe what a baseball player should be, and it's total nonsense. But th- that's the whole analytic today is, well, if he got the, the hitters out the first time around and the second time around, then, you know, he couldn't get them out. So now we got to sit – we got we to gotta replace our pitcher with a reliever. No. What you need to do is get a pitching coach that knows how to freaking teach – and help that pitcher understand that you know what, if you got him out and you can't get him out the second time, then the third time you got to get him out with something else. It's a chess match. Use your brain. Don't use that stupid card that's underneath your hat or on your wristband. Use your freaking noggin. And that's the problem with the game today. That pisses me off so much. We base everything on computers, and the computer is the only the only way that that that's the only answer. And that's nonsense. No, it's absolute cool. nonsense because then that and that's when the, now these scouts and these front office guys decide to say, well, analytics says, and they don't take blame. They're not held accountable for the stupidity that they're doing. Well, and, it, and that's what's ruining the game. You know, it, it's it, it. It bothers me to no end because these guys don't know how to pitch. They don't know how to throw inside. They don't know how to mix pitches. They just want to throw hard. And what does every major league hitter know how to do? They know how to hit a fastball. Exactly. And the, uh, You're not in the big leagues if you can't hit off speed. If you can't hit a curve, a slider, and you can't adjust, well, let me change that. In today's world, you can hit 190 and be a big leaguer. But <laughs> the thing oh, is, if you can't make those adjustments, 
you were sent down. And now it's, oh, he hit that ball, exit velocity, one, 110, and it went 500 feet. Well, yeah, I know. The guy just threw a 101-mile-an-hour fastball. Yeah, middle, middle. Exactly, middle, middle. 101, it comes off the bat. It shoots off like a missile. It, it's science. No, it's uh, you, you touched on so many great things, and the, the point is, and you make a really good point because it, it's it's it gives a, it gives the people in charge another excuse to protect their butts from managers on down, um, pitching coaches, uh, and then they, that gets back to my original point at the start of the show. They don't want to be challenged. They all want to live their own little world, and uh, um, you know if you're going to sign Blake Snell, he's going to get some crazy contract. We know that. Yep. Um, you better sign yourself some relievers too, because what are you going to do about innings seven, eight, and nine? Whenever he pitches, I, that, I, call, I call I call today's game real life fantasy baseball. It is. That's exactly because what it is. every person that's in front office right now, who are around my age, maybe a little bit younger, grew up on fantasy sports, right. and they were the armchair general managers. So now, because they won their CBS and Yahoo league, now they think that they can run a pro team, and they run it that way, and they run it that way. And, and try, you look, I talk to these guys, I have to, and you know what? I don't really care for it. I, I just, Hey, these are my guys. Take care of my guys. Let's figure out do what we got to do. But half the guys, I can't, I can't, I can't carry conversations with them because I just don't have time for it. I do my job and I go home. That's really what I do now. I go, I do my job, get my guys taken care of whatever I need to do. Boom. Done. That's the best way to do it. Best way yeah, to do it. I, I just don't. I don't have the time and the energy for it. It, it, it. For me, because I'm a purist. You can call me a dinosaur. You can call me all that. I just. I know what the game was like, and and I miss that. You know, right now with the new rule changes, I do love seeing these guys steal bases. I love seeing them go back to what playing the game of baseball is. But guess what? You didn't have to change rules. You just had to teach these guys. It could have been done organically. Yeah, exactly. Organically, exactly. You know, I, like I said earlier in the show, when it comes to the shift, you know how many times I, had, I was asked that, what do you think of the shift, the band shift? I, the band shift is stupid. It's nonsense. You don't need to ban it. You just need to adjust to it. The game of baseball is making adjustments. Hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things you can do. Dion, even Dion said it the other day when they yeah. asked him, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? Yeah. It's hit a baseball. So you make adjustments to be a better hitter. You you practice. You learn. You learn the fundamentals. You know. Now they're talking about. I, I forget who it is. Somebody's going to do an off-season program on, on fielding for their team. Really? That was the stuff you used to do back in regular season. My dad used to go to the baseball. Used to go to Fenway early because those guys were out there taking infield, outfield, working out, taking BP. Now they come in. They go, they take a couple swings, and they're ready to play a game. No wonder they stink. <laughs> exactly. And they, and they look, don't, don't, don't forget, they look at the iPad, too. They spend a lot of time looking at the iPad. It, it's, to me, and, and, it's, and it's trickled down to college. It's trickled down to high school. It's trickled down to travel ball. You know, and it's, and it's, it's ruining it. Because what is the, what's the main focus in today's game? How hard can you throw, and what's your exit velocity? It's all measurements. Yep. It's all measurements. Well, if you ask a new age scout or a nerd that's in some kind of scouting role, hey, how did that pitcher look? First thing he'll say is, well, his velocity was blah, 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 blah. 
No, how did he look? What was he doing? Was he comfortable? Was he, you know, was how was the, you know, all, all the stuff that you look for when, you, when you're scouting. They, like, they can't see it. And that's why they created a language for themselves, which is right. really based on stuff that there was in the previous language. And like you said, with, with fielding, it used to be called infield outfield. How about outfielders? They can't throw anymore. So, no I mean, if you go down, all the things that made baseball great have been taken away one at a time. And that's why, um, uh, you know, with this this latest thing with Snell, it's another example of they're, they're, they're stifling greatness, as our friend Will George says. And, um, and they're stifling it across the board because they don't know greatness. And the owners, getting back to your point, I got to tell this quick story. Um, when Tom Werner purchased the Padres, you know, he came down from L.A. I was in San Diego at the time. They had a big press conference and, you know, this is the early 90s and a different era. But uh, I, so I got him alone. I said, um, I said, Tom, what makes you think you can win, you know, run a baseball team? You know, I just, that's, you know, I, I asked direct, direct questions, you know, not one of these long questions you hear from sideline reporters now and everything else you hear on TV and everything. What makes you think you can run a baseball team? His answer was, well, Kevin, I won my fantasy league. Yep. So, uh, Right then and there, I knew the Padres were in deep shit, you know. Yep. No, absolutely. And, and, yeah, and he's changed a little bit. I give him credit. He's gotten a little better. And uh, <laughs> he's got some championships thanks to some people that they hired. Of course. Um, you know, especially people who never get the credit because that's the people who actually guided those teams. Not the, I agree with you 100% on that not, one. Not the guys that get the, all the credit in the world. Not the, ones that, not the ones that get all the glory. Exactly. Yeah. yeah just, believe me, those guys were leaving in gorilla suits. They weren't. Yep. They weren't, they weren't, uh, you know, they needed, they, and they needed to learn some things, but they need, they were smart enough to have baseball men around them. I will give them credit for that. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, uh, and that's where we're at in the game. They'll keep pushing fans away. But if you look at, I think, I think, uh, I think all this should help your dad get in the Hall of Fame if somebody just has the common sense to point out the numbers that we just talked about right now. Right, right. I mean, it seems to be going that direction. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think he's uh, on the ballot this winter for next year. Uh, I think he's in that era, which is another thing I completely think is nonsense. They've yeah, changed, they've changed all the years. They've changed his era around, and it's cost him, I think – three to four years of, of because they've jumped them from every other to every two to every four to back. So he's, cause he's in a tricky era. I mean, he played from 64 to 82. So he falls in the golden, he falls into modern. I don't even know anymore what era he's in, but the guy spanned, you know, three decades. And, and so to me, I just find it to be, you know, complete nonsense, but. Well, we hope with guys like, uh, you know, guys like uh, Jim Cott and things like that. Maybe they get on some of these committees now. Yeah, it would be nice. I'd love to see it. Uh, I hope they do. I know Carew is on the committee. I didn't know that. And and look, that was a big push for Tony. And I was very happy to see Tony get in. I loved Tony's speech, not only because uh, I I think I, I watched the speeches and he was the only one that really spoke from the heart. He didn't even have a piece of paper with him. He was just up there talking. Uh, typical Cuban, kind of like dad. But, you know, when he mentioned my dad in his speech and, and the amount of times he did was was nice to hear. And hopefully that does uh, knock some sense into the, the committee. Um, I think even even Minoso's widow mentioned dad, which was great. Um, 
you know, where they did a CNN documentary of them three not being in the hall. And obviously after that, Tony and, and Minnie came in last year because in a different era, which is great. Hopefully it works. Uh, you know, he is deserving. Uh, and, and I'm always, and I've always told people to me, it's not because he's my dad and I'm biased. I just, I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at what he did on the field, what he's done off the field and what he meant for, for the city of Boston. Um, you know, the people that, that remember him and, and everything they'll, they'll talk about, you know, we talk about Pedro, we talk about David and he was the one before them and he did everything they did. You yeah, know, that's a good point. I, I, I wanted to get to that. Uh, the, um, what is it like traveling with your dad when you are in Boston? Just give us a glimpse of what that, what that world is like. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's, uh, it's such a great feeling to just constantly hear people yell out Louie. Um, you know, they always ask the question, where is a cigar, you know, or, you know, where can I get a Cuban? Um, it's Boston is a, is a, you know, we talk about Boston and a lot of people talk about Boston in a negative manner, you know, and I'm not going to sugarcoat out, you know, you talk about racism and all that there is, there was, there is, uh, I experienced it myself, but I got to tell you one thing about Boston, they really they, they treat my father with the utmost respect and the love um, that it's passed down to us. You know, um, we experience it. And, you know, there's times I get tabs taken care of. There's times that I don't have to wait in any damn line because once they, somebody there either recognizes me or sees a name, it's, you know, what can I get you? So it's, and that goes through New England in general. And, um, and I love he that's why he still lives up in Maine. Um, you know, it, they treat him with the utmost respect and that love that he's like, this is my home. I've tried to get him to come down here. He did for a little bit, but he went back. <laughs> you know, um, I remember it was one time I flew in. He picked me up at the airport at Logan and we we're going through the Ted Williams tunnel. <clears throat> we got to the um, the toll and uh, he, you know, he stopped and. He's pulling out his money, and the guy, the toll booth attendant, looked at him, and he goes, holy shit, Louie? He goes, your money's not good here. He goes, thank you for the memories, and let him go. Wow. That's a great story. And I was like, wow. I said, okay. And, you know, it's you still see that to this day. And it's a beautiful thing to see. It, um, Yeah, it's I love it. It's one thing I do miss. So when I, and when I go up there and I'm with him, it's just awesome to see that experience, you know, and, and my daughter sees that now because I've taken her up there with me a couple of games and they she's more spoiled than I was. So she loves going to Boston because they give her like that royal treatment every time she's at Fenway, you know, and uh, she enjoys she enjoys it. She she soaks it all up. So and it's good. It's 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 it's, it's a great feeling. And she's a softball player too, right? And, and also she's a trainer. What, what is she doing? She's a she's the jack of all trades. She's um, she's on the varsity softball team, starting center field. Um, she never played a sport until she got to high school, hmm. and she made varsity her freshman year. Uh, she's been starting since. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's in her genes. Who knows? Uh, she's in the she's on the high school weightlifting team. Uh, she's also a student athletic trainer, so she helps the football team. 
she just joined the St. John's County Fire Rescue Cadet Academy. So wow. she's looking into that. And she did two years JROTC at high school, too. She's Almost. a busy, busy, busy young lady. Busy young lady, and she's still on the honor roll. So I, I can't, uh, can't complain. That's... I can't complain. I can't yeah. complain. Well, let me give you a tip that uh, Barry Bonds gave me. Um, my daughter at the time, when, when I was covering Barry and doing things, uh, and, you know, Barry could be a pain in the neck, but I always had a way with Barry where he would he would eventually warm up a little bit. So I asked him once for a hitting tip, the best hitting tip, and he, uh, and he said basically what he does with his backhand is it's not a swing, it's a punch, and, and he punches with his backhand. So I passed that along to my daughter at the time, who was, I think, in high school at the time. But then she she really – and there were other coaches that helped her a lot. But she kind of got it all, and she wound up setting the home run record at her college. That's and, awesome. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a great, simple thing, especially for <clears throat> football players because they get, they, get um, they get a little long in your swing sometimes, and you got to be quick. You know, you got to be quick. Exactly, exactly. You know. So that, that little bit <clears throat> of advice, maybe, maybe that will help. But uh, – Clearly, too, that, you know, she also, you know, your whole family loves the game and loves community. And I think that that's that's part of make, why Louis Tiant should be in the Hall of Fame as well. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And, and uh, one last thing with the um, just his style of pitching. And I'll throw it back to Dave. You know, he had to change. Like you said, he had to make some adjustments. Um did you you ever had conversations with him about that and what or what what he did why he did and and how it worked and you know turning his back and what he did you know kind of like a marischal type what, yeah. what was that all about well he he would tell he tells people and we've talked about it too that he just he always used to just mess around with stuff and just and he'd be on the mountain and practice to him practice and repetition was was key um but once he realized that he wasn't throwing as hard as he was in Cleveland and then with the injury he had to make some adjustments and it was one of those things that he worked on as far as exaggerated windup, but then he added more to it when he got to, to Boston. Um, and he said that one day, I think he, he tried it during a game and struck the guy out and Fisk was just like, yeah, that's a new pitch, you know, cause I forget who the hitter was, but it was like, what the hell was that? So it, once he started to see that it was effective, um, he perfected it. You know, he he started going from over the top, three quarters, sidearm, and he started moving and doing different different movements to it. But you know, he just uh, it, it is it's one of the things that he constantly practiced and worked on until he perfected it. He was a good fielder too, right? Yeah, he, he you know what he was pretty nimble. He, he yeah. can move. He can move. He's a pretty good athlete overall. Doesn't look it, but yeah, he was pretty. <laughs> he's pretty good. Yeah, he, he's always been intense. He's always been an intense guy. He's always worked hard at what, at pitching and and his his. I mean, it's his career. It's his life. It's what really kept the roof over our head. And he worked very hard and took a lot of pride into it. Well, that's another I mean, thing I'm noticing with today's game, and you're seeing it left and right now. Uh, and it's gonna. I think it's unfortunate it's gonna get worse. But the way they have pitchers pitching now, selling out for velocity and spin. They're never in a position to field their position. So they're not. They're not. They're very robotic. A Yankee pitcher just got hit in the head by a line drive the other day. I mean, they're, they're very robotic. There's no more uh, individuality. I no. mean, there's no more windups. I, you know, you pitch from the stretch. I, I never understood that. 
I feel that you should pitch from a wind up. I get it from the stretch if there's base runners on. Absolutely. There's nobody on. Do a wind up. Add a little more momentum to your pitch and, and movement. And save they your don't, arm. Use your lower half. Half. It's, they don't. They don't do it. Yeah. And and everything is upper body. You're seeing all these injuries. It's upper body. It's it's the shoulder. It's nobody uses their legs. It's very robotic. One movement. And and they do that with hitting too. There's no more individuality with that. There is no more Jose Canseco stance, Mattingly stance. Uh, you know, Mickey Tettleton had a different stance. Oh yeah. When I was growing up and I was playing baseball, my my stance was a combination of a Canseco and a Mattingly. That's what I felt comfortable with, and that's what I stayed with. And today, it's all just staying the same, little step, little stride, nothing, nothing exaggerated, and it it makes the game boring. Boy, does it ever! You know, we talk about let the kids play and let's have fun. They're doing all the wrong things to make it somewhat entertaining. The over-the-top celebration is absurd. Yeah. It's. To me, what was, what I found interesting was watching Ricky Henderson at bat, watching him steal bases. He had a flair in the outfield that was some some people were showboating, but that flair was what made Ricky Henderson Ricky Henderson. You know, uh, everybody had this individuality, this this certain thing that was theirs, and today you don't see that. It, they they're all the same. It's uh, great. Point. It's. I, I tell you what, I, I love the game of baseball. Love it. And I, it, sometimes I feel like I bash it. And I know people might think, oh, well, you're you an old timer. You bash it because you love it, same as me. Exactly. And I think people think, oh, you're an old timer. You don't, you don't accept change. I'm all for change and change for the better. And the game is always going to evolve. It's going to change. But the things that have changed in today's game have not made the game better. These are things that really never should have changed if we kept it the way it was. Well, and, I, I, and that's what people don't understand. This time clock, you don't need a time clock. I look at some of the games my dad pitched, <laughs> and they were shorter than they are today with no time clock. And extra inning games, the extra inning games with Nolan Ryan, I think, was about the same time as what today's current standard time is. And that was a 16-inning game. Figure that out. Everybody wants to strike everybody out instead of putting the ball in play. That's the other thing. As a pitcher, you'd be more effective if you stop focusing on striking everybody out. Make that hitter hit the ball. You have a defense behind you. Let them feel the damn ball and get outs. But that's the Blake Snell situation in a nutshell because he he's it's all about chase rate and and chasing the plate. And, it is. It yeah, is. And, and meanwhile, it's it's the guys like Maddox who uh, you know could could make you you. Hit into that double play. I'm watching the Yankees last week, and uh, um, Volpe, who, who just what you're talking about, he's you know he's a good young kid, but he's got that typical swing of the young generation, lift and separate, swings from his butt. So he was in a situation in ninth inning where you could tell that the field, the pitcher was struggling badly. New guy, they were trying to get a save, and mm-hmm. nobody talked to him. It's it's funny how it works out, and nobody talks to the guy. He gives up three walks in the inning, blah, blah, blah. Before you know it, he, he he's he, he now it's a one-run game. But Volpe's up with one out, and he gets exactly what he needed from Volpe. A two-hopper to shortstop, tailor-made double play, and the second baseman throws the ball away because they don't work on things. And now they're going to have fielding clinics in the winter. It's a 
joke. It's a freaking joke. And you got, an as, as a fan, you got to be a dope to, to continue to follow the game the way it's going. So I do have one piece of advice for you. The next um, one of your pitchers who you find to be that you signed for your for your um, uh, you know that you guys uh, control uh, control and want to lead into the majors. Maybe if you find a guy that's pretty nimble, start start having him do a little bit of uh, your dad's windup and see where that takes him. It's not a bad idea. I mean, I've always suggested for my dad to come down and talk to my guys. You know, that's that's the other thing I try to do with with with, with our clients is, you know, have them talk to to my dad, have them talk to Tony about hitting, have them talk to my dad about pitching. Oh my God, yeah, just so that they understand these are guys that were there before you and were great at what they did. You know, I mean, look, I've had players that gotten released because they were terrible, and it wasn't the player. It was the system, and it was the hitting directors that changed the kid's stance to the point where he couldn't hit anymore. I mean, and real quick, I had two players that ha- this happened to, both catchers, both 300 hitters. One led his league in home runs and RBIs. He got released because he was too overweight, according to the organization, which blew my mind. I even had a call with him. I go, this guy's a catcher. He's not really overweight. He's a thick kid, but he hit 290, led the league in home runs and RBIs, and you're going to let him go. Yeah, he's got to drop 20 pounds. Okay. Oh my God. And then I had another kid who was a 300 hitter as a catcher throughout the whole entire system, never once below 300. His, the hitting coordinator, who was a, an Ivy League grad who never played the game of baseball, um, told him he needed to change his stance, that he wasn't an effective hitter. Next year, the kid hit 180. He couldn't get back out of it. They gave him that year, and he got released. And now he's in the Mexican League, and he's hitting 290, 300 every year since. Back to his own, back to his room. And I, and I did. I yelled at him. I said, listen, go back to your own self. We'll work with you and give it a few years in the Mexican League and see what happens. I wonder we'll if he was in the Mets organization at one time. What's that? I wonder if he was in the Mets organization at one time. Ding, ding, ding. They both were. <laughs> they both were. Yeah, I'm not shocked. I'm not and I had a former major leaguer who was the academy trainer for one of them and said, this kid is a shoe-in big leaguer. That's how, that's how awesome his bat was and his arm. And – you're talking about major leaguers are able to identify that yes. because they know the game. Yes. And these organizations don't see that. And they just release guys again because of stats and analytics. Well, they don't I listen guess. to the major leaguers who are in development. You know what? There is yeah. one team though. And, and if I'm wrong here, tell me, I think the Rays do a pretty good job on development and, and have some people in there know what they're doing. And uh, I think the Rays do. I mean, especially with what their budget is and I'm, they've developed a good farm system and their players are pretty, pretty good. All, all throughout, and and they do a good job at that. Um, you know, as far as the big league team, they got Matola as a hitting coach. I like him. He's good. Um, he's good. Granted, he's a UCF guy like me, so I, I got to be a little biased with that. But uh, but yeah, no, he's he's the longest tenured hitting coach out there. Yeah, you know, and and there's a reason for that. And he's he, they've developed a really good good team there. It just it stinks that their budget is where it's at, and they don't spend, but. They give you a good, entertaining uh, baseball team. I wish more more people would go to St. Pete and watch them play because they're a fun team to watch. Yeah, that's a, it's, I always loved going to St. You know, whenever I had the chance, like 
some guys didn't want to go to St. Pete, but I, I would, I volunteer for those trips. I love, I love going there. I love I, the trop. I think it's the most, un, it, even though it's got its peculiarities, it's, it's, it's a great place to see a game. Every seat is good. Uh, the players are relaxed there. I think it's a hitting year. You know, the, the, um, it's it's just a good place to, and, and the parking's everything's easy when you go to everything trop. is easy about St. Pete <laughs> and it's funny because everybody I talk to hates the trop I love it <laughs> and they're like well how, it's it's disgusting I go I love it that's the one place I actually enjoy watching a baseball game yeah me too well I'll throw it back to Dave and uh, we'll get back to me for one last question sounds yeah. good no great great interview Danny we appreciate your time and I just want to remind the young audience here where they can if they want to gain knowledge on your dad and, and, and get into the history, which we encourage here on the show. And if I'm missing one, you let me know. They can get, they can get one of two books, El Tiante, the Louis Tian story, which was released in 76. Yep. And then also Son of Havana, Baseball Journey from Cuba to the Big Leagues and back, uh, released in 2019. Correct. Or the, uh, the, the great documentary film, The Lost Son of Havana, produced by Chris Meyer and uh, the Farrelly Brothers which I think ESPN grabbed after a Tribeca Film Festival. But uh, those are three great um, things that young kids and young, or young and old alike. Get on that. Get familiar with Louis Tian if you're not. Appreciate what he brought to the game. And let's get behind him in this push for the Hall of Fame because he's, he's well-deserved. Um, and uh, I think uh, you know what we talked about today with him and with you uh, gives credibility to But get into those documents because he, uh, he, he should get in in this round. We'll all push for him here. But um, – and uh, p- plug your apparel company a little bit. Uh, well, we have the uh, El Tiante shirt and El Tiante mug, which you can you can actually find on the ball9.com site. That's the uh, site that, that has the, the apparel for it. Uh, we're looking to expand it. So um, once I do get that, once I get that done, I'll definitely uh, let you guys know and, and definitely uh, appreciate all the push and the plugs for that. Yeah, no worries. I have the mug. It's a great mug. And uh, I'm drinking out of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I do. This is my go-to mug. I have a, I have a, do a, uh, I'm speaking to a college class in Houston. I think in Houston tonight, uh, um, Jerry Trupiano, you know, Jerry, the, uh, Oh yeah. Love yeah, Troop. Yeah. And he's, uh, he, he, he teaches something. So I'm going to make sure I, I, I have my, uh, it's a zoom. It's not like this. <laughs> so I got to dress up a little bit, but I'll have my I'll have my Chianti mug with me. I love it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Then I'll pass it back on to Kevin for his last question. Yeah, this is simple, Dan. Uh, but everybody we talk to has a unique perspective because of where they come from in the game or around the game. You being the son of Louis Tian, plus being in the game now. Uh, simple question. Think about it for a second. But uh, to you, Dan Tian, what does it mean to be a ball player? What does it mean to be a ball player? Uh, to me, uh, when I played, um, <clears throat> I, it was the ultimate feeling. I took a lot of pride in it. I really did. Uh, I loved putting on the uniform. I love, you know, it was UCF, it was Bridgewater state or my high school. I, I took pride in representing that team. I think it, the, 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 that was, that to me is what it means. The teamwork, the camaraderie with your you know the guys that, that you share a locker with you may not like each other you have to respect each other and the bottom line is you guys got to come together to to come out with a w um it's it's to me it was the ultimate feeling 
Uh, I always loved the game. I, I loved playing it. Uh, any free time I had, I was just out on a field. And it's just that, that that's what it that's what it brought to me. A lot of joy. Mm. And I think that's why when I was done with the game uh, and after college and, you know, I, I went to the DR for the Dodgers Academy. I was there for a season. Um, but once I was done with the game, I was lost because it's really what I spent a lot of my time with, even with a degree and everything um, <clears throat> and, and going the direction still of sports. It took me a while to realize what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. Um. I, yeah, the, the game of baseball to me is life. It really is. I love it. Great. I love it, and that's why I think I fight for it so much. And I'm so, and and I do bash it because it's a shame to the direction it's gone. It, it, it I, these kids today, these players today, and I'll tell you, all the kids today uh, in in travel ball and high school ball, college ball, they don't get it and they don't understand it. They think they do, but they don't. Right. Big leaders right. don't. Uh, that's great stuff and uh, appreciate the time and uh, I'll let Dave finish up. Yeah, Dan, thanks so much. And Kevin, thanks to you for what you bring to the show. Let's make sure we support uh, the apparel company, support our brothers at Ball 9, catch Kevin twice a week over there, two phenomenal stories every week. And we'll be back in touch with you guys next week with this show, Coach and Kernan. 74 countries, 50,000 plus subscribers. Thank you for getting us on iHeart. We appreciate you so much. Uh, we do this show for you. We've got a very intellectual audience, and they're going to love this one today. Let's support Louis Tiant's next push for the Hall of Fame. Let's make sure we get him in there because he deserves it. Dan, thanks so much. Kevin, thank you so much. Thank All you, right, guys. Take care. Episode 286 in the books, Coach and Kern and Real Voices of the Game.